Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message for July 2023. For more information on this podcast and our other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you from Bixby, Oklahoma. I am back in our games room upstairs and recording this message to you this month. As you realize, I skipped June. We had a very busy season in between. We've had numbers of guests coming in, which we really enjoy hosting people, having them in our home. And uh, Bev, despite always saying that she's not a great cook, she does very, very well in catering to them. And so it's it's been a good time. Also in June, we had the... the on Father's Day, we had the storm that hit Tulsa with straight line wind speeds right here where we are of 90 miles an hour. And of course, it did a lot of damage. A lot of trees were blown down and power was out. Fortunately, in our subdivision, we still had power. And so anyway, our family all moved in with us, Tracy and Matt and their children. And uh, Matt's mother, Norma, all came uh, over here because the, till power was restored so and then we developed a leak and we thought it was from the roof which we'd had replaced six years ago but it wasn't the roof it was the upstairs air conditioning unit in the attic uh, the pan underneath it had become full of water and was leaking down and down one of the walls and so anyway we were to go to Galveston for a few days just for vacation. We had to cancel that and instead we stayed and had the air conditioner fixed and a safety switch put put on it and then we've had the wall repaired where the damage was. So it's been a busy time. Anyway, now I'm back to our messages. So we are resuming our message on restoring daddy's picture. Last month or in May, we looked at the characteristic of God that Jesus revealed of his lavish generosity. And today we are going to go on this month. We're going to look at kindness. And I want to just go back to the foundational scriptures that we've undergirded this message with. And we start in Psalm 115 with the fundamental statement that the psalmist makes that those who fashion idols become like them Uh, in verse 8 he says those who make them are like them so is everyone who trusts in them and he shares the characteristics of dead idols eyes they have mouths but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. And the fundamental principle there is that you are a reflection. Your life is a reflection of your concept of who God is. If your concept of God is that he doesn't speak to you, then your ears, spiritual ears don't work. You don't hear. And so uh, it's important that we believe the truth about who God is or else it dramatically affects the way we relate to him, the the way we live. I was reminded of that again yesterday 
I'm reading a book called The Economics of the Parables, in which uh, Sirico, I forget his first name, he's a Catholic priest, but he looks at the economics of, of the parables of Jesus, and in dealing with the parable of the pounds or the talents, he made the point that I have made many times, and that is this. Because the servant had a wrong understanding of the master's character and nature, he was afraid of him. He said, you gather what you have not scattered and you reap what you have not sown, which was not true of the master because he said, if you had have just put your, the money in the bank, I would have received my own with interest. He wasn't looking for anything beyond what he had given to the servant. And the power that was latent in that gift to reproduce itself, but out of fear and out of a wrong understanding of who the master was. And so the sad thing is that he gets judged on the basis of his understanding of who the master is. So it's really important that we have the correct understanding of God. We then looked at Job. And as we I said to you, Job was probably a contemporary of Abraham. He had no covenant that we know of, and he was groping in the dark as far as relationship to God was concerned, making sacrifices when he felt his children might have sinned and so on. He had no clear revelation of God. And so when tragedy struck, he felt it was God. He said, the Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But we know it wasn't the Lord. We know it was Satan who was doing that. But unfortunately, that concept has has trickled down into the, uh, un, uh, into the New Covenant Church. And there are many who teach a sovereignty of God that not only does the Lord do good, but also when evil comes, it's, it's somehow... You know, I was th singing the, the song in my mind, um, Stayed Upon Jehovah, in, and the one verse says, Every joy or trial cometh from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. No, n not everything bad, nothing bad comes down from above. It is from the our being on this earth. It is being in a broken, fallen world in the midst of people who make evil, bad choices. And so we live with consequences of other people's and our own bad choices. But to say that God is responsible for that is to accuse God of evil. And we looked at Psalm 23 verse 3 where the psalmist says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Where God is, we know from Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, because God was with him. If God is with you, you can only do good. Only good happens where God is. That's the truth of what Jesus came to reveal about the Father. And then we looked at John 14, 8 to 9, where Philip said, show us the Father and that'll be sufficient. And Jesus reminded Philip, he said, Philip, have I been so long with you and yet you don't know this? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then I looked at Hebrews 1 verse 3, where the writer of the Hebrews says, he is the exact in engraving. That's what the, the word is. Character is an engraving. Uh, the the exact image of his person and the 
Charakter is the word from which we get our English word character or characteristics. And so Jesus portrays all the exact characteristics of God. If you want to know what God is like, you look no further than looking at Jesus. And as I've said to you, every time um, God wants to show me more of himself, I go to the Gospels and I read the Gospels. And I've just finished reading through John's Gospel and asked the Holy Spirit, do I go on into Acts or do I go back to Matthew? And I felt him say, go into Acts. So that's where I am. So last message, we looked at God's lavish generosity. And uh, I brought up four numbers, 150, 12, 7 and 153. 150 gallons of the best wine that Jesus made at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. 12 baskets full of leftover after he fed the 4,000. And then seven large baskets of leftovers when he fed the 4,000. And so it's, it's, it's a demonstration of how generous the Father is. He doesn't make just enough. He makes more than enough. He's more than enough. He's he's Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. And when he provides, he provides abundantly. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And so that is reflected in the 153, which was after Peter's failure, after he had denied Jesus. He goes fishing and they catch nothing. And Jesus is on the seashore and says, put your net on the other side. And they enclose this large draft of fish. And when they pull it to the land, there are 153 large fish within the net. There's a lavish generosity in God. He just can't help himself. And if you doubt his generosity, just look at nature around. I'm looking out of our window, out of our games room, and just looking at the, the beauty of nature outside of the window. And that is a reflection of God. There's a massive pecan tree just right in front of the window across in the neighbor's yard. And it it sheds pecans every year, thousands and thousands of them, so that nobody can gather them all. Uh, It's just there's a lavishness to God. And so that's what we looked at last, last message. Now, this message is about the second characteristic of God that Jesus unveils, and that is his kindness, his kindness. And so I want to start by reading in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore you shall be 
perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect now i'm going to read the equivalent passage in luke chapter 6 and verse 27 but i say to you here love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you to him who strikes you on the one cheek offer the other also and from him who takes away your cloak do not withhold your tunic either Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And now listen to this. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Uh, I got a letter or the newsletter from Bob Mumford in January and he told the story. He said, very recently a dear friend related his experience to me. He happened to share Luke 6.35 with with his wife. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. She responded, for some strange reason I am unable to hear that. He repeated the quote. Say it again, she pleaded. He repeated it four more times with increasing volume and force. They broke into tears and began sobbing as the manifest presence of the Lord flooded the room. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Wow. Now, I want to make a few points out of this story and and then we're going to take up that concept uh, from the the epistles first of all he says that in verse matthew 5 verse 45 and here in luke 6 35 that you may be sons of the most high in both cases he uses the word that you may become behavior determines your identity under the old covenant he's teaching before the the new covenant now under the new covenant your identity that has been secured through the blood of jesus determines your behavior you don't behave to become you become and then you behave according to your new identity that's the difference between the old covenant and the new Your behavior does not determine your identity as it did under the old covenant. But your identity and who you have become in Christ changes the way you relate and behave to people. And one of the characteristics of your father that you now carry is kindness. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Wow. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And he goes, Jesus in both passages says, well, if you do good to those who are good to you, what what are you better than any other sinner? If you're only merciful to those who are merciful towards you, what, what have you done that is more than any sinner would do? 
And so he says this, he says, verse 48 of Matthew 5, he says, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the equivalent passage in Luke 6 and verse 36 says, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Perfection, therefore, is in a capacity to be merciful. In other words, to show kindness to totally undeserving people. We think of perfection as striving to be without sin. But it's not, not um, how can I say, a condition of your person. It is in, revealed in your actions. The ability to be merciful and kind to ungrateful and to evil people, people who will want to do evil to you, and you have the capacity to show them kindness. That is what Jesus is teaching, and he's introducing this whole concept in the Sermon on the Mount to a people who were living under the law, which gave them the right to hold offenses. The law said if you you forgive a person up till seven times and if after that there's no change, then you just write it off. That's what the law said. But Jesus, you remember, said to Peter, I say not to you until seven times, but until 70 times seven. In other words, you don't keep the score because if you are a child of God, you have his character and his character is kind. He is merciful to those who are totally undeserving. The word kind, we're going to get more into the the word, but it's acts it's acts of kindness. Kindness is not a, just an attitude. It expresses itself in acts of kindness, which is what Jesus came to reveal of the Father in his ministry. He was so kind in everything that he did. Now, I want us to go over to Titus, and I want us to look at this amazing passage of Scripture where Paul says this, Verse 4, I'll read from verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish. This is Titus chapter 3. Were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's who we were pre-Christ. That was our identity. But, verse 4, when the kindness... And the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul says, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Now you say, hold on, wasn't God loving before this? Wasn't God kind before this? Yes, but you see, the law had changed the whole relationship between God and his people. The law had put them onto a 
uh, as it were, a, a bartering system. If you're good, you'll be blessed. It was all performance-based. If you do good, you'll be blessed. If you're not good, you'll be punished. And so God could not show his mercy and his kindness because he was bound to keep that old covenant with Israel, which was a covenant that he never wanted. He wanted to relate to, to Israel on the basis of the covenant of grace in a similar way to Abraham, all they had to do was trust him, was believe him, and they could walk in his favor and his blessing and his untold goodness as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. But they got into this bartering place. And we've, I've said this many times before. It was their slave mentality of Egypt that caused them to come into this relationship with God, not on the basis of trusting him, but on the basis of expectations that they had of him. And they demanded from him. And as a result, it was God said, if that's the way you want to relate to me, okay, here's my 10. Let's see how well you do with them. And as we know, they failed completely to be able to keep the 10 commandments. And that is why Jesus came. And so now the Bible says, after the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He, he saved us. And so Jesus comes and opens up a window into this characteristic of God that is so offensive to the religious crowd because they're so bound by their understanding of the law. And they, to them, it was incomprehensible that God would show any kindness to undeserving people. All they could see was the judgment of God upon them. And that's what offended them so badly about Jesus because they, he, they said in Luke 15 verse 2, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That was the biggest offense to them. They could not comprehend that Jesus could be from God and show such kindness because all they understood was the law. And you'll remember that Jesus dealt with them according to the law because that was their mindset. They would not believe him. They would not believe the picture of the father that they painted. And he was totally limited in dealing with the Pharisees because they would not trust him. And he had to revert to dealing with them under the law. And so he was harsh with them under that law. He judged them under that law because that was how they saw God and that was how they wanted to relate to God and they would not receive the revelation of his kindness miracle after miracle after miracle Jesus performed and happened to be many times on the Sabbath and they would get so upset with Jesus because he was breaking the law as far as they were concerned the law trumped all acts of kindness in their mind and so Jesus had to, uh, had to take them to a story from the Old Testament, which we'll look at in a moment. Let's just look at this word kindness. It's the Greek word Christos. And it means to be, it's translated in different ways, useful. Uh, that's translated that way in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Gentle, uh, that's in Matthew eleven thirty. 30. Pleasant, kind. It's a beautiful word. It's a be beautiful word. In, in Mark chapter 2, when Jesus was with his disciples and they were walking through the fields, you remember how this 
happened. Now, it happened as he went through the grain fields, Mark 2, verse uh, 23. As he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And this is such an important principle. To the Pharisees, the law trumped kindness. To God, kindness trumps the law. So that even although David was not of the priestly tribe, nor were his men, when they were hungry, it they ate of the showbread and Jesus said, God didn't judge them. They weren't you know, g- killed because they ate of the showbread, because they were hungry. And then he, it, it gives us this principle. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. All of the things that God instituted for the law was for the protection, was for the blessing of mankind. But the religious leaders had turned them into burdens that the people were unable to bear. They had taken the law and used it as a means of absolutely beating people over the head with it. And yet Jesus is trying to show them that kindness trumps the law every time. As God said through Hosea, go and learn what this means. I require mercy and not sacrifice. And in fact, Jesus quoted that verse to the Pharisees when they were criticizing him for healing on the Sabbath day. Go and learn what this means. I require mercy and not sacrifice. There's something greater than the keeping of the law, and that is showing the kindness of God. So Titus says, that that kindness of God only appeared when Jesus came on the scene. Until then, it was masked by the, the law and the application of the law. And people couldn't see the kindness of God. But the kindness of God becomes manifest in the Son, in the way He lives, in His acts, in the miracles that He does, and then ultimately in His sacrifice on the cross. And so Titus says, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us as, uh, as abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. If we could only recognize that it's all by his mercy, you don't have to wash yourself. You don't have to clean yourself. You don't have to renew yourself. He does it out of his kindness that is revealed in Jesus. He came to us. I love that uh, that that song that when we first came to America back in 1982 it was it was on all the Christian country things it was um he came to me Squire Parsons song he came to me when I could not come to where he was he came to me that's God he comes to where we are he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves he washes us he regenerates us by the Holy Spirit he fills us with his presence he comes to us 
and having been justified by his grace, listen to this, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Not just saved us, but he made us his heirs. We are heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Christ with his, for his, his great kindness toward us. Wow. That's when the kindness of God appears. That, that's a critical verse. Up till then, up till Jesus coming, this characteristic of God was shrouded, was hidden, was suppressed by the application of the law through the, the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus comes in and upsets the entire system that they had developed by showing kindness to people and Insult of all insults. He did it on the Sabbath day, violating the Sabbath. And so he has to say, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Marriage was not made as an institution for us to be bound by. It was an institution for us to be blessed by. The Sabbath, the church of Jesus Christ was not a, something that was instituted in order for us to become servants of one, some man's vision and servant of a, 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 a local church. It's for our blessing and for our betterment. Uh, we, we've made all these institutions into things that become burdensome instead of recognizing that it is for our blessing, it is for our good. And Jesus comes and violates their institutions in order to reveal the true characteristic of God, which is supernatural kindness. He, he is kind to ungrateful and evil. Meditate on that for a moment. He is kind to ungrateful and evil. He sends his rain on the just. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. He is kind to evil and uh, ungrateful people. That's God. That's his kindness. Now, there are so many places in Scripture where that kindness is revealed. Romans 2 and verse 4 says, It is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, Paul says this, Love is kind. If you have the love of God within you, then you are going to be kind. And then the passage that, that caps all passages as far as our kindness is concerned is Ephesians 4.32. Listen to that. Therefore be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, or the word there is compassionate, forgiving one another, charizma, being gracious to one another, even as God for Christ's sake has been gracious to you, has forgiven you. The word is translated forgive there, but it's charizma. It's showing grace to. So he starts off with be kind, and that's acts of kindness. Compassionate. Seeing the other person through Jesus' eyes, feeling for them what Jesus feels for them instead of judging them by their behavior and judging them externally. It's letting the Holy Spirit open our spiritual eyes to see people through Jesus' eyes. And when you see people through Jesus' eyes, you see their brokenness, you see their woundedness, then compassion will flow toward them. And when compassion flows toward them, you'll act according to the nature and character of your Father, and you will show kindness to them. 
kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And then he says this in Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. See, in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6, it was, if you act in the, the right way, you will become. That's what the word says. You'll become sons of your father who is in heaven. Now he's saying in Ephesians 5 verse 1, you are beloved children. Now imitate your father. Act who you are. You have his kindness within you. Now be kind, forgiving. And the context of that in Ephesians 4.32 is let no anger, wrath, anger, clamor, bitterness come out of you. And, and so he's dealing with offenses. He's dealing with us. He says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. He has said earlier in the chapter. And yeah, he's saying, be kind. You have to deal with offenses by going on the offensive of showing kindness to those who have wounded you, who have hurt you, who have despitefully used you. Jesus gives us very clear directions. Now, you can't do that in your natural self. It is only when you're born of his spirit and you have his nature and his character abiding in you that you're able to forgive in the way God forgives. So I want us to go to Luke chapter 15. One of the uh, key chapters in the Bible concerning the kindness of God. And we know it as the story of the prodigal son. And of course, I talk about it a lot in my books because it's such a critical uh, picture revealing not just the two sons, but particularly the father's nature. And so in chapter 15, and remember that all of this is coming on the heels of the fact that in verse 1 it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him, to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. That was the offense to them, because this could this man could not be from God if he ignored the sinfulness of mankind around. And so Jesus tells this parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. And I don't need to go into the details at all about the, the, the son and, and the division of the inheritance. It's, it's all critical and I've developed it at length in the book, The Birthright, and in the book, Son. And, uh, you know, you can go there, get get the books, order the books, and you can find the, 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 the uh, teaching on, on that. But what I wanted to get at here is the kindness of the Father. He could have easily been judgmental and critical of the Son when he returned. But instead of showing him what the law would have done to him, he showed him kindness beyond anything that was permissible under the old covenant and so he 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 restores him fully now uh, i got a letter some time ago back in may and this is what it said dear reverend sheesby i recently read your book the birthright out of the servants quarters into the father's house and wish to give my feedback Perhaps you could use it as food for prayer 
or a follow-up book in the future. I was most intrigued by your addition to the prodigal son's story. I was glad he decided to stay in the servants' quarters. I would have also. Now, in the, my book, I, I give an imaginary ending to the story where the son, because of his shame over what had happened in the far country, as soon as the party was over, he disappeared and the father went looking for him and found him in the servants' quarters saying, son, what are you doing here? And he responding to the father and saying, oh, but father, you just don't understand. You don't understand. I, I brought such disrespect to your name in the far country. The stuff that I was involved in, I'm so ashamed of now. I could never live under the same roof as you. Of course, it's an imaginary story because the Bible doesn't in any way assume that but I just I put that in because I see so many Christians disqualifying themselves as does the writer of this letter I was glad he decided to stay in the servants quarters I would have also salvation is by grace and therefore free but afterward God expects us to learn the value of stewardship discipline and hard work When I get to heaven, I want to ask Jesus what happened when the welcome back party was over. Did the Father teach him stewardship, discipline, and the value of hard work, a.k.a. contributing his gifts and talents to the household or church and community? I do pray the Father instructed him in all this. There are too many pew warmers in our churches. Many have made the sinner's prayer and have entered the Father's house. But what then? (laughs) What then was you you revel in the lavish kindness and goodness of a Father who would receive you back so unconditionally into His love and you would spend the rest of your life just understanding the greatness of his mercy and plumbing the depths of his love for you that's what you you do after that and his love and his mercy revealed to you will change your behavior because you have been set in place as a son and the father's nature then becomes comes through you that's the the wonder of of this the whole story is that the father's love is so amazingly kind unconditional and restorative hallelujah who now will that will that change the person yes and i'll read a verse to you second timothy chapter 2 and verse 21 He says, but in a great house, this is verse 20 of 2 Timothy 2, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. It's so fascinating that If I cleanse myself from that which is inferior, that which is ignoble, that which is beneath my status as a son, I become useful. You know, he's comparing vessels in the house, some for honor, some for dishonor. There's some things that you wouldn't set in the middle of your coffee table. There's some things that are hidden away in a a medicine cabinet because they have a function. 
but they're not the beautiful things that you would set in a display cabinet at all. And so he says, if you separate yourself from those things which are beneath you, which are not according to your new status as a son of God, then you become useful. And the word there, useful, is the same word, Christos, as kindness. So his kindness has an impact upon me so that I become a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart, the word sanctified means there, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Wow. And it's in the passive mood. In other words, he does the work in me. I become useful is it's it's passive mood prepared for every good work who does the preparation he does the preparation if i'm willing to separate myself from that which is not part of my new identity as a son if i'm willing to get to to deal with condemnation with guilt with fear all of the things that are part of the law and I recognize who I am as a son and I embrace my new identity as a son and I put off the stuff that is beneath my new uh, identity as a son of God, then I become useful to God and his kindness can be demonstrated through me. Same word, Christos, uh, there. And then the last uh, verse that I want to refer to is in Matthew chapter 11. The uh, same word is used now in a in a different way completely, and that is my some of my favorite verses that I've been living in for the last few years, and I'll just read them to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word easy there is the word Christos. My yoke is kind. It's not ill-fitting. It's not heavy. It's not burdensome. And that is why you will find rest for your soul. When we can enter into this, into the reality that God, you are kind. I'm telling you, some of us need to take those words in Luke chapter 6 and repeat them over and over again until the glory of them shines through in our hearts. He is kind to ungrateful and the evil. If he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil, imagine how kind he is to his sons and his daughters. It's time for us to embrace that and live in that. His yoke is easy. It's not burdensome. He hasn't put us under a new New Testament performance system in order to earn his favor at all. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He wants us to enter into a restful place. I see so many people who aren't at rest, who are just anxious and not enjoying rest. And it's because they have a wrong understanding of who the Father is. They're still driven by performance. They're still driven to please God. They're still driven to make God happy and earn His favor in their lives. And I tell you, He wants you to enter into this rest and discover that His yoke is easy. It's so kind. It's so fitting. 
that verse in Timothy that I read to you, that you might be useful to the master, the illustration that I've used in years past. Heinz Dedekind, I worked for him. He is still alive, living in a, a retirement center in Kronstadt in South Africa. Heinz Dedekind was a, a skeet shooter, and he would buy an expensive uh, shotgun, and then he'd go into his workshop, and he'd begin to work on the stock of that thing, and he would sand it, and he would file it, and he would modify it, and then I'd watch him, and he'd put it up to his shoulder. He was left-handed. He'd put it up to his shoulder and he wanted it to sit perfectly, useful to the master. That's what this, the verse is. It fits well. His yoke is easy. It fits well. It's useful. It's not, you're not self-conscious about the weight of the yoke because it fits so well. It's kindly to you. And so that's the, the whole a picture of the kindness of God. Listen, this new covenant is not a burdensome, onerous thing that's been given to us to make us miserable. It's been given to us and it is revealed. The kindness of God was revealed when Jesus came on the scene. He started immediately revealing the kindness. His first sign in Cana of Galilee was an act of great infinite kindness. Yes, it was lavish. It was generous, but it was kindness. There was no recrimination to them. Why have you run out of wine? You know, what's wrong with you guys? Why didn't you prepare adequately? There's nothing of that. He's kind. And so right throughout, right until that last miracle that he does with the fish, 153 fish, it's an act of kindness. He is so kind. And it's time for us to just receive it. Father, in Jesus' name, we receive this truth. You are kind to ungrateful and evil. You are kind to ungrateful and evil. And if you're kind to them, then you're kind to us, your children. And we come to you today and we receive your kindness. Thank you, thank you, thank you that Jesus came to reveal how deep your kindness is. I could go into miracle after miracle after miracle. The one that strikes me so powerfully is the widow uh, of Nain, who's in the funeral procession going to bury her son, and Jesus stops the bier, and he just speaks to the young man, and who sits up and restores him to her, the, the mother. What kindness, just throughout Jesus, every miracle you can look at, and it's just a revelation of the kindness. After that, the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. It appeared in Jesus, and then He saved us, not by works of righteousness. Thank you, we didn't have to do a thing to, 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 to earn salvation. But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which He lavished upon us. He lavished upon us abundantly. You didn't give us a little bit of the Holy Spirit and say, if you behave yourself, I'll give you more. You lavished your Holy Spirit upon us in such abundance. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness and your generosity. Now, Thank you that because we are your sons and your daughters, we have the capacity to show unusual kindness to others, to those who are undeserving. 
Jesus said, be kind or be perfect as your father is perfect. And then in Luke's gospel, he says, that is be merciful as your father is merciful. Your kindness, your perfection, God, is revealed in your capacity to show mercy to utterly undeserving people. And thank you that we have your characteristics. We have your DNA within us and we can be kind. So where we have been wounded, where we have been offended, where we have been hurt, we choose to show your kindness. We choose to walk in forgiveness. We choose this day to go on the offensive, not just saying I forgive you, but to show acts of kindness to the person who has wounded us. Holy Spirit, just let this word go deep into our spirits. You are so kind. You are so kind and we are so kind because we are your sons and your daughters. And we are kind to ungrateful and evil people, just as our father was, is kind to ungrateful and evil. I speak your blessing on everyone who hears this word. And Holy Spirit, we can't do this work, but you can by revelation of truth. Let the kindness of God, our Savior, who loved us, appear to us, be revealed to us, and transform us through that revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the conclusion of this message. Thank you for listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com.